Good morning. morning. James, alcoholic. Hey, y'all. Sober since January 3rd, 1984. Yeah, I got sober at nine years old. (laughs) Not kidding. I was 21. In case you uh, wanted, well, I'll do the math for you. I'm 60 now. I spent almost two thirds of my life in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, maybe a little bit less, because like Mo said, I didn't want to be here, so I wasn't here for a little while, but um, I'll get to that. Uh, so glad to be here. I have a sponsor. His name is Doug W., and he lives in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I want to have, uh, say some thank yous before I get started, because if I don't, I'll forget. So I first want to thank Ed. Ed, thanks so Yeah. There you go. Ed asked... <clears throat> Ed asked Jane and I to be here, and uh, so great. And, you know, we love these AA conventions, but it's really nice when we can come together, be together during these. So thanks, Ed. I want to thank Mo for being an awesome host, and Kelly for helping Mo pick us up from the airport. You had to be there. That was a joke, but anyway, you had to be there. I want to thank the committee for... uh, everything y'all done on making us feel so welcome and taking good care of us. And I want to thank the speakers who have come, who've already spoken. Uh, Last night we had a young people's panel that was amazing, and there was Emily W., Emily B., and Adam, who were great. And uh, they uh, advertised the Kiki Pod. Did I pronounce that right? November. All right. If they're in charge, it's going to be great. And Harold, thanks for your talk. And I just want to, uh, one of the things I love about coming to these things is running into people I know who I've kind of met over the years, and there's so many of them here. There's Tim, there's Jesse and Lisa, and Don and Patty, and a bunch of other people here. I want to especially thank Lisa for what you did this morning. So I got here <clears throat> and um, down the room, and I realized, dang, I forgot to pray. You know, when you're a speaker, that's a bad thing. So I... <laughs> I grabbed Lisa and I said, come on, let's go pray. So she, we found a little quiet place down the hall and held hands and she started, she prayed this amazing prayer. I'm going to tell you, I, I was listening to her and I was just feeling the spirit and I felt really, really good. And I was like, man, that's a good prayer. And I said, okay, it's my turn. I said, I said the AA prayer, you ever hear this? God, please don't let me suck. <laughs> Amen. So there it is. All right. Thank you. <clears throat> I got one joke. Speaking of jokes, wherever Brian is. Y'all want to hear it? Yeah. Now, this is my joke. I made this up. I didn't find this on the internet. It's my joke. It's about my mom. And she loves this joke. I want y'all to know this. I didn't talk to her today, but when I talk to her later, she's going to ask me, Did you tell that joke? And I also I'll be able to say, yeah, I told the joke. So here it is. You ready? And I need a little help, so y'all participate in this joke, if you don't mind. So my mom, I'm, I'm a, my mom's an AA. Her name's Polly P. Anybody hear her? Yeah. yeah? You heard of her? Yeah. She's something. Anybody know what the P stands for? Pistol. Polly Pistol. Heck of a name. Now, if there's ever a pistol in AA, it's my mom. you agree with that? She's a pistol, isn't she? Well, if you think she's a pistol now, you should have seen her loaded. 
it. That's the only one I have. I'm done. <laughs> I love to have that. She loves it. She loves it. <laughs> uh, all right. I'll start by saying I never should have drank. And I'll tell you why very briefly. But I've got to tell a bit of my mom's story in order to do that. Uh, at the end of 1976, my mom started going into detoxes in Tarrant County, Texas, which is where Fort Worth is. And she, uh, she was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous. She'd get 10 days, 20 days. And, uh, but she went to AA meetings. And then early in 1977, thinking she was not an alcoholic, uh, and also thinking she didn't want to live, she tried to die by suicide. And what she did was she got a bottle of scotch and a bottle of Valium, checked herself into a motel in Euless, Texas, ate that bottle of pills, drank that bottle of scotch, and waited to die. And a friend of, her found, friend of hers found her, called 911, and the ambulance picked her up. And on the way to the hospital, my mom flatlined, so she was dead. They resuscitated her. The doctor, when she came to, said, uh, you're dead. We brought you back. I recommend you don't drink again. And that was not her last drink. Now, I was 14 years old when I saw this. Okay, Pretty smart kid. Here's what I learned that day. If you're an alcoholic and you drink, you're going to die. So that's exactly what happened to my mom for a brief time. <clears throat> of course, she survived and is alive and sober today. Uh, her last drink was April, 9, April 11, 1977. She went to a treatment facility in Dallas, Texas, and she got sober there. And that treatment facility had something called Family Day. I don't, do they do that in Kentucky, Family Day, where they bring the family in? All right, so here we are. So let me tell you what my family was. My family was my mom, the alcoholic, my dad. Let me tell you a little bit about my dad real quick. Uh, my dad... Uh, is, uh, was a veteran. He was in uh, Vietnam. He spent a year in Da Nang. He uh, was a, with, uh, in their relationship, she was a, he was a enabling spouse of an alcoholic. She started going into those detox centers. They directed her to AA. They directed him to Al-Anon. He went to Al-Anon. And in short order, he transformed from an enabling spouse of an alcoholic to a man who had his wife court committed to treatment. Now, here's what I believe, okay? I believe that my dad having that transformation in Al-Anon, sending my mom, getting my mom court committed to treatment, got her sober, and I believe her being sober helped me get sober at 21 because I don't think I would have made it to 22. So I'm going to tell you, I believe my mom is sober and I'm sober because of my dad, and that's because of Al-Anon. So I want to give Al-Anon a props today. Yeah. Love that program. All right. So uh, family day, we sit down, and there's a therapist, my mom, my dad, my brother who's 16, me who's 14, and this therapist begins. I think the whole point of it was kind of, hey, family, here's what an alcoholic is. Here's what your mom is. Let me describe what alcoholism is. She started to describe alcoholism, and she threw out a bunch of different characteristics. And I'm, I'm not going to say that every alcoholic is 
has these characteristics. If you want to know what the definition of alcoholism is in an alcoholic, look in the big book. It's very clear in there. But I didn't know no big book. I didn't know AA or anything at the age of 14. So here's, here was my first introduction to alcoholism. She said an alcoholic is somebody who's uncomfortable in their own skin, who feels like they don't fit, they don't belong, they're on the, constantly on the outside. And I thought to myself at the age of 14, well, that pretty much describes me. Right? I've always felt that way. I've never not felt that way. I always felt like I was on the outside. She said an alcoholic is somebody who um, uh, has a vision of the way the world should be and does everything in their power to force other people to do their will in order to make that happen. Does anybody identify with that? You know, that's in the big book, isn't it? They talk about step three. I didn't know big book at the age of 14, but when she said that, I identified with that. Because I have an idea of the way the world should be. And I'm going to tell you, when I'm not spiritually on the beam today, I, ha- I still have one. And I think to myself, if everyone in this room just behaved, the world would be a great place. But, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, here's one she said. Alcoholics suffer from something called belligerent defiance. Yeah, I identify with that. She said some other things, too. And then she said this. The whole point of this story is right here. Here's the point. She said something. I don't know if this is true. Okay, I don't know if it was true back in 1977. I don't know if it's true 2023. I haven't found it anywhere in our literature. So this is non-conference approved statement right here. Here it comes. She said, if you're a child of an alcoholic, you have a 50-50 chance of being an alcoholic yourself. And I thought to myself, Wow. And now she just described alcoholism. I identified with everything she said. I hadn't had a drink. I identified with everything she said. And I said, 50-50, huh? I looked at my brother. I looked at me. It ain't going to be him. So here's what I knew at the age of 14. If I took a drink, I'd be alcoholic. And what I learned just a few months, a few weeks before was, alcoholics who drink will die. So that's what I knew at 14. And that day I was given a gift. It's called self-knowledge. Now if any of y'all read the big book, it's pretty clear that self-knowledge is not enough. But that's what I had. Now before I forget, because I might forget, let me talk about my brother. I looked at him, no way he's going to be an alcoholic. Well, three years ago, three years and a little bit, is it three? Three years and a little bit, he called me on the phone and he said, James, I'm going to treatment. And I said, for what? You know? <laughs> what are you going to treatment for? And he says, for alcoholism. I said, what? And he said, yeah, I have been a closet nightly drinker for decades. And he's sober three years and three months now. Yeah, how about that? So, for our family, it's 100%. Anyway... <laughs> Non-conference approved statement based on experience. All right. So here's what I knew. Uh, if I drank, I'd be an alcoholic. Uh, an alcoholic should drink die. I didn't want to die at the age of 14. That feeling would come later. So I said to myself, smart kid, I'm never going to drink. Because if I don't drink, I won't be alcoholic. And that means I won't die early. And that worked. I didn't drink. Yeah. For five months, I didn't drink. And then I drank. 
because I'm alcoholic, and that's what we're going to do. So, you know, we alcoholics love to tell our first drinking story. And uh, normal people don't do this, but I'm going to do it. I love this story. I loved Harold's story last night. Here's my story. I, I was a kid who felt apart from, less than, different, unloved, unlovable. I felt that way all the time, every day. I showed up to school one day in September 1977. I was 15 years old. Anybody remember September 77? Yeah. Those of y'all who were there probably don't remember it because, you know, it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll, wasn't it? Yeah. I show up to school that day and uh, feeling the way I felt every day, and this guy comes up to me. And let me describe him. He was a senior. I was a sophomore. He had uh, really long hair. This 70, September 77, remember? Looked like Robert Plant. <laughs> Lead singer Led Zeppelin for y'all who were young. So, uh, you know, he's like, and he had a Led Zeppelin t-shirt on because they were touring that summer. And uh, he said, you want to come with me? Oh, he had really red eyes. I, I remember that point. <laughs> he said, you want to come with us? And I, I, you know, I didn't know the guy. I didn't know where we were going or what we were going to do, and I said yes. So, <laughs> we alcoholics say yes a lot. And uh, off we go. So is this, this is L.D. Bell High School in Bedford, Texas. We crossed the street, Brown Trail, and over there were some woods. We went into the woods. There was a clearing with these logs set up in a circle. I have a feeling we weren't the first teenage, group of teenagers to go <laughs> gather there. And um, we... Uh, partook in an outside issue. Okay? And I don't need to go into any other detail except to say rolling papers were involved. That's all I need to say. Okay? So we did this outside issue. And I want to tell you something. When it got to be my turn and I did that thing, my life changed just like that. Just like that. I changed from a kid who was apart from, less than, indifferent, as somebody who was somebody. I felt like I fit. I belonged. I had friends. David, my new friend. I've known him five minutes now. Best friend. Best friend. Uh, and there's a little voice in the back of my mind saying, you know, remember what they said about drinking? You drink, you're going to be an alcoholic, and if you're alcoholic, you're going to die. And I said, well... How I feel right now, all that's worth it. And that day began my six-and-a-half-year run. And I want you to know, I felt that way every single time I drank. Every time I drank, I felt that way. I felt like it delivered me from this state of being disconnected and apart from to a place where I could connect with people. And I think my entire life, that's what I've been looking for. I've been looking for this feeling of connection, you know, like, um, but I always feel like, I felt like I had people at a distance. But when I drank, man, right there. I wanted that so bad. I didn't even know I wanted it until I had it. <clears throat> so that started my six-and-a-half-year run. It lasted from uh, 15 until 21-and-a-half. Now, uh, i got to tell you, I don't have a real dramatic story. Uh, if you want a dramatic story, I really encourage you to be here on Sunday morning. Did I mention my wife speaking on Sunday morning? <laughs> now, let me tell you something. You want to hear a story about uh, 
what happens when you drink. That's my one. By the way, I think, uh, in my opinion, Jane is the best AA speaker there is. So, uh, <laughs> so be here Sunday. I don't have a story like that. Uh, I, I used to compare myself to my friend Lon. Lon and I got sober together in 1984, and we used to run around, go to the young people's, the Fort Worth young people's group together, and all these groups in Arlington, Texas. And he had a great story. He, he, his story was uh, he'd get he was in the he was in the Marines. He'd get drunk in the Philippines and come to he'd black out, come to in Australia. And I'm like, I want that story, right? I'd, I'd drink in Bedford, Texas and black out and come to in Euless, Texas. And I want to tell you, that was about a mile. I hit about a mile away, right? He has a great story where he was on a boat uh, and he wanted to die by suicide, so he decided to hang himself with a bungee cord. Okay, so he wrapped the bungee cord, jumped off, like bouncing. They found him. So, I want a story like that. I don't have a story like that. Here's my story. Uh, you know, Harold talked really well last night about delusion. Here's my delusion this part of my life. Uh, the delusion was this. I'm going to beat this thing. Now, when I was 14 years old, I was given this self-knowledge that I'm not going to be an alcoholic if I drink. And I said... I got this information, I'm going to beat this thing. You watch me. And I remember I'd watch my mom, and she'd go to uh, AA meetings and hang out with all these AA people. And I had this, and she would drag me to some meetings when I was a kid. And I got an attitude about AA. I thought it was a place with a bunch of losers. And um, they deserved to, like, be together at these meetings and whine about their lives. And this is my perception of 14. I think alcoholism is a disease of perception. That was my incorrect perception at the age of 14. I don't believe that today. So in case I forget to say it, here's what I believe today. I believe that Alcoholics Anonymous is composed of some of the finest people on planet Earth. That's what I think. Yeah, how about it? I think what we have here is uh, an amazing... Uh, design for living and I have watched the transformation take place in countless people and it's really a blessing that's what I believe now I didn't believe that at 14 I thought it was like loser Bill anyway uh, and I said to myself and oh and she would she was kind of watching me drink and uh, she decided you know as a as a mother of an alcoholic to take matters into her own hands and get her kids sober? Okay, here's what she said to me. Now, before I share with you what she said, I want to suggest this. If you have kids or are going to have kids who start down the road of their drinking careers to become alcoholics, please don't say this to them because it doesn't work. Here's what she said. She said, James, we're saving the seat for you at Alcoholics Anonymous. I cannot wait for you to get here. You can, you can join my home group. Sit right next to me. And on the other side is going to be your sponsor who I've picked out for you. And I want to tell you, she said this to me, not once, but repeatedly, right? for years. Right. 
Here's my attitude. I'm not coming to Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't need Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm going to beat this thing on my own willpower. Now, I don't know if anybody identifies with that, but that was my thing. So I went ahead to beat this thing, and I lost. I lost. The sad part of my story is that when I first started drinking, uh, every time I drank, the magic happened. That magic was I went from someone who's less than, apart from, different, unloved, and unlovable to somebody. And then somewhere along the way, that stopped working. And that's a real depressing place to be for an alcoholic. I didn't know this at the time. But what I found that day in September 1977 uh, was the answer to every problem I ever had. I remember people would say, you know, your problem's drinking. You know, you need to stop drinking. And in my mind, I wouldn't say it to this to them. I'd tell them mind their own business. But what I would say to myself is they don't understand. This is what solves my problems. This is my solution. And then one day that solution stopped working. And the real sad part of my story is I kept drinking long after that. And then what happened in that time is I basically lost the most important thing that has been given to me, and that is my soul, myself, my connection to God. That I threw all of that away with my drinking, and I found myself uh, at the end of 1983. So when I started drinking, it was all about the party. It was all about being with people, connecting with people, being a part of. And at the end, here's my life. I, I lived in a house full of alcoholic dope fiends like myself. Uh, and I never felt so alone. And what I would do every day is I would get up in the morning and I'd get whatever I needed for that day. And by the way, I was not just a drinker. I identify with Harold. I did a lot of other things. Uh, I love, I'll just run them down in case you have any experience with this. I love cocaine. I love marijuana. This is in the early 80s. Some of y'all might remember. Remember those big pills about like this with a 714 stamped on them? Anybody remember those? <laughs> I love those. Those are quaaludes for you kids who don't know what those are. I don't think you can get those anymore. And here's how crazy I was. I would take those quaaludes. By the way, they're like animal tranquilizers, you know, large animals. Take some of those. And then uh, feel a little down, so I'd need to snort a lot of cocaine to sort of even it up. So that was my craziness. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, I was going somewhere with this. I was, oh, I was in this house, a bunch of other alcoholic dope fiends, and I was completely alone. You know, the big book describes the loneliness of an alcoholic, and I identify with 100%. And I was, uh, yeah, so that was my life. Get up in the morning, get what I needed for the day, get behind the wheel of my car, and drive all day long. I drove drunk every day. Every day I drove drunk. Uh, never got arrested. Never got into an accident. Well, that's not true. I had a few accidents. Uh, we in Texas called them whiskey dents. Anybody ever whiskey dents? You know, you're just driving along and you sort of clip the telephone pole. Or you just kind of, you know, just sort of knock your rear view, side view mirror off. That's what I had. No big deals. All right, so here's, here's the end of my drinking. Completely alone, 
uh, devoid of self, disconnected from God and my fellows. I went to a New Year's Eve party, December 31st, 1983. I got incredibly wasted. Uh, I don't know how much I drank. It was a lot. My last memory of that night is that I was uh, on the front porch. I remember like it was yesterday. It was like a, a blue-gray paint, painted porch with a porch railing right there. And I was on my hands and knees, sort of craw- I was really, really drunk, crawling, trying to make it to the railing because I needed to throw up. And I was a polite, <coughs> polite alcoholic when I could be, and I wanted to get it over the, you know, in the bushes. So uh, I blacked out. And then I came to on January 3rd. And I came to, and then uh, a miracle happened in my life this morning. Let me tell you, up, leading up to January 31st, uh, sorry, December 31st, 1983, here's what I knew about myself. I was not an alcoholic. I was going to beat this thing, not an alcoholic. And I want to be drunk. I come to on January 3rd, and something happened to me. Uh, I can't describe it other than to share my experience about it. Uh, A thought was placed in my mind. I had a realization. I love that word because sort of in that word is reality. I saw reality for the first time. It was a little delusion was removed from me in that moment. And I saw the truth. You know, for me, delusion is when I uh, live in the false. I believe false things. And this morning I saw the truth, and the truth was I'm an alcoholic. I was like, dang, where'd that come from, <laughs> you know? And the second miracle was I realized I wanted to be sober. And I haven't had a drink since then. And uh, looking back, it's a, I see it as a miracle. In the moment, I didn't know what the heck it was, so I didn't know what to do. I knew, I just knew it was over. I was done. I knew it. I was done. I'm not going to drink anymore. I want to be sober, but I didn't know what to do, right? Because AA was not an option. Uh, what do you do? So I did a really lame thing, age 21. I did the most lame thing any 21-year-old, 21-year-old kid can do. Guess what I did? Called my mom. That's right. I called my mom. Tough guy. It's right here. Tough guy. So I picked up the phone. Remember the time when phones had wires? And you dialed on the thing. That's what I did. Mom, guess what? I'm an alcoholic. James, no, sh- no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I knew this. And then she said, oh, I've been praying for this day. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go. And I said, Mom, I want what you have. I want to be sober. Let me tell you. <clears throat> when my mom got sober, I didn't want anything to do with her. But in the six and a half years since she got sober to that day in January, something had changed. Her entire life had changed. AA had transformed my mom. You know, in AA, you've heard this term, be the big book somebody else reads? That was my mom. She was my big book. I said, Mom, I want what you have. I want to be sober. And she said, James, if you want what I have and want to be sober, you need to go to AA. And I said, Mom, I don't want it that bad. And I hung up the phone. Did I mention belligerent defiance? I think I may have mentioned that characteristic of my alcoholism. All right. And I didn't know this at the time. I'm going to just share this. 
This is what I believed happened. I, and I, I don't know anything other... Uh, this is just my experience. I don't know if what I'm going to share is true, but this is what I went through. So I came to on January 3rd with the realization, this moment of reality, some of us in AA call it a moment of clarity, that I was an alcoholic. And it was as though uh, uh, this bright light just was turned on, like a floodlight turned on. I could see my life as it was. And I was an alcoholic. I didn't want to drink anymore. So I, and I found myself in a state of surrender. Okay? Now, I, I did not surrender. I found myself in the state of surrender. I believe I was surrendered. There's a difference. You hear that? There's a difference. I didn't decide, I didn't surrender. I heard Harold talking last night. Uh, you prayed. You got on your knees and prayed, and you got sober. My mom's husband, Dave. Dave uh, prayed. That was, and the next day he got sober. I didn't pray. I didn't ask. I don't remember. I was in the blackout. What do I know? But I don't think I did. I don't think I asked. I didn't pray. I didn't want it. The next morning I wake up and I want it. What is that? That's a miracle. And as though God reached into my life and surrendered me. That's my experience. And I got on the phone five minutes later. Mom, I want to get sober. Go to AA. Don't want it that bad. Click. Guess what I did? I unsurrendered myself. Anybody do that? Yeah. Is so, James, here's a gift. Uh, I give to you freely and with, uh, just because you're my child, here it is. And I say, thanks. You can have it back. That's exactly what I did. And, uh, but I haven't had a drink since. And I related to your story as well. I, I wasn't an uh, ideal AA member for the first several years of my sobriety. Let me tell you about the first year of my sobriety. I'm going to call it, it's not sobriety, it's, it was sodriety. Anybody hear that? Sodriety. All right. I said, I'm not going to go to AA. I don't need anybody's help. I'm going to do this on my own. I got this. I can stay sober by myself. And I said, alcohol is my problem. The problem's been removed. Uh... Problem solved. That's what I thought. And then th- th- I entered the worst year of my life. This is a year where I tried to get so- stay sober on my own, tried to fix myself, and I got incredibly sick. Like, really sick. I came into AA sick. I got sober that day in January. was real sick. Didn't treat my alcoholism, and I got sicker. And this lasted for about a year. At the end of that year, I was literally crazy. I felt like I was going crazy. And uh, that is my experience, uh, being an alcoholic, not drinking, and not treating my alcoholism. Has anybody ever tried that approach? Yeah. I don't recommend it. So if you're new here to this morning, uh, just grab on to AA. Treat your alcoholism. You don't have to go through that. It was the worst year of my life, you guys. I thought it was worse before I stopped drinking. It was worse that first year of sobriety. It's terrible. All right. <clears throat> why do I think that is? Here's why. Now, that day in, Jan- in uh, September of 1977, I found the answer to every problem I ever had. That day in January of 1984, that problem, that answer of mine was removed. Hasn't been a part of my life since. 
So what happened was my answer, alcohol, was removed. Let me tell you this. Alcohol, in my life, is the second best treatment for alcoholism. It solved my alcoholism until it didn't. And then it's taken away, and I'm not replacing it with anything, and all I have is alcoholism, and I got so sick, you guys. Now, I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous. Obviously, I would go to meetings um, occasionally. Uh, I called myself a fringe member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't really so I'd come in late, and I'd leave early. Right? Didn't get a book. Didn't get a sponsor. Didn't go to fellowship. Didn't pray. And I'd sit in the back row in the meeting. And my sponsor, Frank, called the back row the shoe section. Y'all ever hear this? It's where the loafers and the sneakers and the slippers sit in the back. Now, present company excluded, you guys. Just no seats here. So you guys are good. But when I, when I sat back there, I was an alcoholic waiting to take a drink. That was me. All right. But I knew how to find a meeting, and this is back in the day when uh, uh, the way to find a meeting was you had this little piece of this little booklet with the meetings listed, right? No cell phones back then. So I knew how to read it. I knew how to find a meeting. So I was miserable. One day my phone rang, and it was a woman named Barbara, which is a woman my mom sponsored. Barbara is someone I knew quite well. She actually lived behind us. We had this house, a fence, her house. I used to run around, run the streets with her kids. So I knew Barbara. She got sober. She, uh, She called me one day. And she said, James, I have a, a sponsee in my needs to get to a meeting. I called every woman I know. Nobody can take her. Can you please take her to a meeting? And I was at home, and I know I was suffering through some problem. I don't know what it was, but um, I didn't want to do that. I mean, why would you, why would you take a, someone you didn't know to an AA meeting? I mean, that sounds like the <laughs> lamest thing. I'd much rather sit in my self-pity and... Uh, but strangely, I heard myself say, okay, I'll do that. So I, she lived in a different part of town I'd never been to. So I went, I looked in my little book, found where a meeting was near her, picked her up. We went to this meeting. I've never been to this meeting. And I sat out. And I sat like right where Mo's sitting here. And t- imagine these two tables pushed together. No uh, lectern here. And uh, I sat there. And then this kid sits right across from me. <clears throat> and this kid... Uh, we started just chatting a little bit. That kid turned out to be the speaker that night. And that kid and I had a lot in common, about the same age, drank the same, did the same things, liked the same music. There's a big difference. This kid was happy and free, and I was dying. And he, the difference, he was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I wasn't. And that kid gave me hope that day, and that day I joined AA. And, you know, you can join AA anytime. You don't have to wait a year or more. I don't even know how long it was. It could have been more than a year for me. But uh, you can join right now. Because what we have here in Alcoholics Anonymous is an answer. So if alcohol is your solution to your problems or has been, AA is a much better solution. I'm going to tell you this. Alcoholics Anonymous is the best solution I've ever found, found for my alcoholism. And it, it has changed, transformed me. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my transformation. Uh, I kind of get to this point. I never really know what I'm supposed to talk about. 
Uh, all right, so I joined Alcoholics Anonymous. I was, let's call it 22 and change. Uh, by this time, I'd gone back to school. I was a college dropout when I was drinking, so I got, went back to school. And AA kind of taught me a lot, of, a lot of ways to live life. Here's one of the things I learned. Is that, that um, uh, There's a big difference going to school and not showing up and going to school and showing up. It's a big difference. <laughs> and by the way, I believe that today for life in general. It's a big difference between living life without showing up and living life showing up. So I showed up to school, which means I went to class early, and I left, just like I would go to AA. Sit in the front, ask questions, do the homework. you believe that? What a concept. And I made good grades, and I graduated. Got a job. Uh, started working. Got a phone call, and the phone call was from, a, at the time, a big company in Illinois who wanted to Offer me a job. And here was their offer. Uh, James, if you come up here and work for us, we'll pay you this salary. We'll send you to a local university to uh, get a master's degree. We'll pay the whole thing. We'll pay your full salary while you're doing it. What do you say? I said, well, let me think about it. You know, <laughs> you know we are. And I said, yeah. So I went to work for this company. Uh, I lived in Chicago, Illinois, and I went to grad school at Northwestern, go Wildcats. And, uh, wrong one, I know, I know. <laughs> Apologies. Uh, yeah, so I'm educated beyond my intelligence, that's basically what that means. And I uh, was doing Alcoholics Anonymous up there in Chicago. I, I, I never talk about this, so I'm going to talk about it. I, I had the privilege of watching a renaissance in the fellowship of AA in Chicago over about a 25-year period, uh, where Alcoholics Anonymous in Chicago became not just pockets of enthusiasm, but a huge pocket of enthusiasm. All these great groups starting up in this time, and the fellowship was just amazing, and I got to be there, I got to be a part of it, it was awesome. In this period of time, I... I uh, met someone, fell in love, had kids, so i got three kids right now. There's Ryan, Chris, and Maddie. Ryan is, you're not going to believe this, Ryan's about to turn 30. Can you believe that? I think about that, and I'm like, man, I'm old. It's crazy. And Chris is the second, and Maddie is uh, about to be 20. Oh, she just turned 24. So those are my kids. Great kids. Uh, yeah, so... That marriage ended, which uh, often happens, not often, but sometimes happens in AA. It was a kind of a terrible divorce, but I got through it sober. Uh, there was a time, <laughs> oh, I'm going to tell you this story. There was a time for this divorce, 25 years sober, where I was no longer living at home. I didn't have a place to live, so I was couch surfing, 25 years sober. <laughs> hey, you want what I have? Do what I do. You know, here I am. It was like a sponsee house. Anyway, it all worked out. <laughs> Got divorced. Was asked to speak at the, uh, somewhere in there, sort of right before I started uh, the journey of divorce. And I uh, found myself at the 
uh, Florida State AA convention in 19, I'm sorry, 2009, and I met my beautiful wife, Jane. Actually, I had a crush on Jane before I met her because I was a member of a CD club. CDs, what are those? But in, back in the day, the, the, these companies would send, these tapers would send out these CDs, and I, Jane D, Tallahassee, that? throw that in the CD player, and I was like, whoa, I got to meet her, you know. But happened. years later, met her in 2009, and uh, we became friends, and then uh, got divorced, and then uh, I'll just leave this for you on Sunday morning. So if you want to hear the rest of the story, be here Sunday morning. <laughs> she tells it way better, but 2014 is when we got together, and uh, it's an amazing relationship. I love you so much. I'm so glad to be here with you and be married. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I used, to, I used to say, you know what the book says, boy meets girl on AA campus? The 12 and 12 says, I used to say, middle-aged man meets middle-aged woman on AA campus. And somebody said, James, don't ever say that. <laughs> don't say that. So, man meets woman on AA campus. That's what it was. All right. So, uh, my life is real good, you guys. You know, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I was... Uh, The, the real problem of my life at the time, I say the way my alcoholism manifested was a feeling of separation from you and from God. And here's what happened. When I surrendered to Alcoholics Anonymous, when that guy told his story, uh, I surrendered to AA. I started working the 12 steps. And an, an absolute transformation has taken place in my life. I want to tell you a little bit about it very briefly. When I was a kid, yay tall, I believed in God. I always believed in God. I believed there was a God. I would, my parents made me go to church. I didn't like it. I didn't believe what was said at church, but here's what I knew. There was a God. I didn't believe that God cared much about me because of what I'd done and how I felt about myself, what I thought about myself. And... Uh, the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous reintroduced me to that God. Actually introduced me to a much better version. Uh, uh, a concept of a higher power that works for me. And one of the things I love about AA is the idea of this God as we understood him. So if you're here this morning, sure, I'm, I reckon there's a number of you, and you say, I want to give this AA thing a try, but this God thing, I can't deal with this God thing. Uh, I had the same experience. But the thing that worked for me is this. The God can be of my own understanding. This means it's a God that works for me. It's not your God. It's not your God or yours. It's the one that works for me. And uh, Thank God for that. Because if, if that was not part of our program, I do not believe I could be here. But because it is, I am. And it's worked for me. So what happened was, is I come here, this belief in God, this experience in him was sort of pushed out of my life with my alcoholism, and I started working the steps, and that began to come back into my life. And I like to think of it as sort of this kind of idea, is that I was born with this candle lit inside. I'm right here. I'm pointing right behind my sternum. 
the candle was right in there. It was burning. And that was the, the light of this higher power. And through my drinking and all the rotten things that I did when I was drunk, I basically blew that candle out. It's like, ah. right? So I come to Alcoholics Anonymous, work the steps, and it was as though that candle was relit. And here's what I learned. That candle never went out. Who am I to think I can blow out the candle of my higher power? That candle never went out. It was obscured, covered up. The book says obscured. Don't you love that word? It was obscured by what? By pomp, by calamity, and by worship of other things. Pomp, look at me. Calamity, all the rotten stuff happening in my life. And worship of other things, alcohol, drugs, sex, money, power, prestige. All those things obscured it, sort of like I covered it up. In the words of uh, Chuck Chamberlain, who's my second favorite, third favorite AA speaker. My mom's my second favorite. Uh, AA is about uncovering, discovering, and discarding. And what I did was I uncovered this candle and discovered God was always there. It was me who was away. And so that's what I learned at Alcoholics Anonymous. So today, I feel like I have this candle. Every now, I, now and then, I sort of cover it up a little bit because... Sometimes I want y'all to look at me, you know. Look, I'm a big shot, right? Or uh, I do something stupid, cause a little calamity in my life, or I find myself sort of worshiping something else, usually myself, instead of God. I'm not the only one who does that, am I? But most days, and most parts of most days... uh, I feel that God is there in my life and is running the show. And uh, my personal experience is when God runs the show, the show goes off really well. And like the book says, when I run the show, the show doesn't go off very well. That's my experience. So, of course, my alcoholic mind says, maybe it'll go off well when I run the show this time. You know. So anyway, all right, so what is my life like today? I'm going to tell you this by telling a story. Uh, this isn't exactly a, what's my life like today. It's about a 15 months ago story. But, you know, when you're sober 39 years, it's almost like today. So I'm going to talk about that, uh, something that happened to me last fall. So uh, to set this up, I'm a super healthy guy. I Exercise almost every day. I love to cycle in Tallahassee. It's a great town to cycle in. I uh, eat real well. I just live a good, clean life. And uh, so, super healthy. Well, in the fall of last year, I started to feel off a little bit. I started to feel uh, kind of short, shortness of breath and uh, uh, lightheaded. And it would kind of come and go. I'm like, what the heck is going on with me? So I brought it up to Jane. She said, Jane, I'm feeling lightheaded and short of breath. And she said, honey, it's your stress. You're working too hard, which I was. I often work too hard. I don't know if anyone identifies with this, but I often work more hours than my employer expects. I don't know if anyone does that. And she said, you need to stop working so hard. I said, okay. So I did. I started slowing it down a little bit. But it kept getting worse a little bit. And it would come and go. And I think, this is not, this is weird, but it's just, you know, once a day, twice a day. And then it started getting worse and worse. And uh, I bring it up to Jane, and we're like, I gotta de stress more, de stress more. 
Yeah, that's the answer. So uh, the Sunday before Thanksgiving 2022, no, 21, is that the math right? Yeah, a year and a bit ago, uh, I was walking the dog, and I was walking up this hill, and I felt shortness of breath and uh, lightheaded, and I almost passed out. I had to grab the fence right here. We were walking along, there's this fence, and I was like, and I said, that's it. So I finally surrendered, and uh, next morning was Monday before Thanksgiving. Called the doctor. Doc, this is what's going on. Can you see me? And he said, well, I can't see you today, and I can't, uh, I can't see you tomorrow. Come in on Wednesday, 9.30 in the morning. I said, great. Now, <clears throat> Jane has a friend, Christy, and every year, Jane and Christy, uh, on the day before Thanksgiving, get together for lunch and go shopping and do all this stuff. It's kind of like a, a yearly thing. And uh, she was going to take the car to this lunch that she enjoys so much. And I said, she said, don't worry, you take the car to the doctor. I'll get Christy to come pick me up. I said, great. So I get in the car, drive to the doctor, tell him what's going on. He hooks me up with the EKG. Five minutes later, comes back in and says, you need to go to the emergency room right now. And I said, oh, really? And he says, your, your heart rate is dropping down to 30 beats per minute. And I said, well, that's not good. <laughs> and he said... You need to go right now. And I said, okay. And he says, I think you're okay to drive. And I went, all right. And he said, go to this hospital on the edge of town, which is a satellite emergency room. Don't go to the main hospital. It will take forever to see you. Go to the satellite. I said, all right. So I called. I'm like in the car. I'm like, wow, I need to go to the emergency room. I called Jane. Jane, doctor says I need to go to the emergency room. Can you take me? And she says, does that mean I have to cancel plans, my lunch plans with Christy? <laughs> I said, yes. She goes, oh, of course, of course, of course. So we go to the satellite emergency room. He was right, man. I walked in five minutes later. Um, he's like Formula 401 team. Hooked me up to the monitors. The doctor comes in and he says, you're not going home today. And this is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. This is the day before Thanksgiving. And I said, oh, okay. And he says, you, you need some surgery. And you need to go down to the hospital to get this surgery. And I said, oh, okay. So I thought, all right, Jane, let's go. She'll drive me down to the hospital. And he goes, oh, no, these guys over here are going to take you to the hospital. And there's the EMTs, right? And I said, cool. And they wheel the thing in, the gurney in, put me on, and they're wheeling me down. And I said, bye, Jane, I'll see you over there. Wheel me, they wheel me down to the ambulance. It's in the basement. And we're waiting for the elevator to go down. The driver says to the EMT, he says, you know, he's stable. Uh, should we do code one or code two? And I said, hey, dudes, listen. I've never been in an ambulance before. I may never be in an ambulance. I, got, I need code two. Give me code two. I want the sirens. I want the lights. And he said, he said, okay. And I'm like, yes. So we're in the, we're in the ambulance. We're going. I'm like, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. And I can't believe this is happening to me. And he says, you know, you got an IV in the right arm. I'm going to give you one in the left arm. They like two IVs, you know, points. And I said, dude, we're driving 40 miles an hour down the road. And he says, don't worry, I know all the potholes in this road. So he gets ready. He goes, hang on a second. Okay, here we go. And so I was like, man, I can't believe I just got tapped in an ambulance. And we get there. They wheel me into this room. The cardiologist on call comes in, looks at me over and says, uh, we need to do emergency surgery. You need to 
we need to put a pacemaker in you. She described what the surgery was. I said, okay. I said, who are you? <laughs> you know how we are. Uh, authority figures, we got to Google and make sure they're who they say they are. <laughs> anyway, she said, uh, uh, I'm so-and-so, and I've been here for 25 years. By the way, the surgical unit you were going to wheel you into, I started that 25 years ago. I said, oh, okay. And she said, I highly recommend you get this surgery. And uh, it's the day before Thanksgiving. I want to send my team home. So it's either now or you've got to wait until Monday. So here's the whole point of this story. I, I, let Jane and I look at each other, and we're like, let's do it. There was no fear. There was no hesitation. It was as though we were in the moment, surrendered to the moment, and just going along with what was happening. And I said, let's do this. They wheel me in at 2 o'clock, and they wheel me out at like 4 o'clock. And so, okay, got to be honest. Got to tell this part of the story. So I wheel in, and I'm about to get my anesthesia. And I said, hey, man, you mind hitting me with that kind of on the slow side? You know? <laughs> he said, he looked at me like I had two heads. What? I said, oh, never mind, never mind. So, My sponsor tells me I'm an alcoholic every single day. So I said, uh, so he hits me with that, and I'm like, oh, wow. I was out, I came to, and you know, when you come off that stuff, it's a little bit loopy, so I was like, woo. And uh, Jay was laughing at me. So I had a free lapse. You might ever watch <laughs> No wonder I loved it back in the day, man. Anyway, so I come out of this anesthesia, and it was like that. I immediately felt better. Immediately. Jane said, I can't believe your color is back. It was like a light switch. Immediately felt better. <clears throat> and this is kind of a, how I try to live my life today, this whole, that's why I'm sharing this story. This is how I try to live. Instead of living in fear, I try kind of lean into my, my day. Oh, I'm in an ambulance? Let's have some fun with this, right? Instead of being terrified. Because here's the thing. That morning, like every morning, I woke up and I said, God, I surrender my life to you. This is your day, not mine. You put me wherever you want me to be. That day he wanted me to be in an ambulance. And I said, let's do this. And that's how I try to, I try to lean into my day. You know, when I do that, I'm happy. The days where I try to fight what's going on is when I'm miserable. And the other thing is, is that when I do that, it's as though a light switch turns on. And I feel better just like that. So I want you all to know it's been about 15 months. My pacemaker's right here. It keeps my heart at 60 beats per minute or above. I feel great. Bike every day. My life hasn't changed much at all. And life's really good, and uh, it's all because of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I've been given a lot of gifts here in AA. I have a beautiful relationship with Jane. I've got amazing relationships with my three kids. I've got an incredible job that I love. I get to work wherever I am. It's an amazing world we live in. I, I spent the month of January in Thailand. I traveled two weeks with my daughter for our daddy-daughter trip. 
And then I stayed for two more weeks and did that digital nomad thing. You heard of this? In Thailand. It was amazing. This is my life. A fantastic puppy that we have that we're raising. He's kind of a jerk sometimes, but we love him. Uh, I have friends. Um, people in my community, I know them. They, I love them. They love me. I'm surrounded by love. <clears throat> I'm the luckiest man on the face of the earth. And uh, it's all because of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the greatest gift that was given to me here is that relationship with that higher power. As good as all that stuff is, it's all good. It's all just sort of gravy, if you will. The, the core of, of my life is this relationship with this power. And, uh, you know, I don't think Alcoholics Anonymous promises a great job or a great relationship or great kids. Or, it doesn't promise that. Here's what it promises. A spiritual awakening. And that's right there in step 12. That is what the promise of Alcoholics Anonymous is. And here's what I learned. That when I found myself on that day in September 1977, it was though I was looking for something. And I didn't know this at the time, but I look back and what I was looking for was the very thing I found in Alcoholics Anonymous. So if you're new here, here's what I hope. I hope that what you find in AA is the very thing you were looking for in the bottle, because that's exactly what I found here. And if you could stay with us, and like Harold said, come all the way in, sit all the way down, do these steps, uh, your life will be transformed. You too can have that uh, in your life. I love you all. That's all I got. Thanks. <laughs>